Good morning once again. Good morning once again. Oh, there we go. Uh, we're going to get into the Word of God. Hallelujah. If you have a Bible, you'll want to get that out. Or if you have a device you'd like to look at uh, the scriptures on, you can get that as well. Um, we will have the scriptures up here uh, on the projector screen, too. Um, just to clarify, sorry if that was confusing on the um, Thanksgiving baskets. We are pulling this together in just two weeks. We, we will have to distribute them next week. So we just have this week and next week um, to, to buy and then to distribute that following week. Because as you know, Thanksgiving is coming. Um, and this is just an opportunity out of the gratefulness of your heart to give. Um, to give is always a blessing. It's more blessed to give than to receive. And so the purpose of this card is to help us project. Like if some of you knew that we were going to take uh, up these funds today, um, you know you already brought it, you already put it in, uh, but some of you maybe didn't know or weren't prepared today. We just have today and tomorrow. So that's what this card is for, to help us project so we can buy stuff. We don't want to wait till the last minute to buy. Um, so you say, today I'm giving. Like I already put it in the basket. Awesome. Or you can say, I'm pledging to give this much, and I will bring it next week. That, that's what, those are your two options. Um, the third option is to use this QR code and give online. Um, and uh, it, if you do that, though, you'll have to put a note that says for the Thanksgiving baskets. Good? All right. Simple, simple. Oh, question. We're targeting to buy for five if we get enough funds. Five families, if we can. If we get way more, we'll do more. But that, that's kind of the number uh, we, we, we came up with. Uh, I won't say the Lord spoke because it wasn't like that. Um, <laughs> five's always a good number. You know, biblically, it's a number of grace. Come on. Grace, grace on you. Grace, grace on Dutch Hills. Amen, amen, amen. All right. So we're going to get into the Bible. Um, you can open up to um, John chapter 14. This is so great. Cindy read this passage when we started service, and she did not know that I was preaching it. In fact, like, I was just standing there like, oh, Lord, you're so cool. Um, Holy Spirit's so good, and I know I planned the worship set, but it actually wasn't with this message in mind, and yet, Holy Spirit did. Um, so we're going to be looking at John 14. We're actually continuing on the Way of Jesus series, and... Um, Today, simply, uh, the title of the message would be that Jesus is the way. You know, we've been talking uh, the last several weeks about what does it look like to walk in the way of Jesus, and we were um, cueing off of how he taught the disciples to live. Uh, it would be easy to say it was the way he taught them to pray, but it was the way he taught him, them to live with that prayer, our Father in heaven. And this is taking it the next step further and centering it on Jesus literally being the way that we want to walk. His life is uh, the example of our way. So um, I'm going to read that passage again, and then we're going to pray, and then we're going to dig in. John chapter 14, verse 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. All right, let's stop there for now and let's just pray. 
Father, we thank you for your word. Jesus, we thank you for your blood. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence right here, right now. And we ask God that you would grant to us a spirit of wisdom and revelation, that we would know you, that we wouldn't know more information, more words, more Bible, that we would know you, that you would help us, Holy Spirit, to know you and walk in the ways of God. In Jesus' name, if you agree, say amen. So we live in um, disorienting times. Is that true? Um, in fact, I would say I just feel like personally there's a lot of things that have been happening that are very disorienting. Um, and this passage then becomes so um, profoundly powerful and meaningful as Jesus begins this conversation with, do not let your hearts be troubled. Now, we have to understand the context, right? Um, he had told them he was about to go. That's what was troubling them. That was disorienting for them because they had so many ideas and plans of what it was going to look like. They'd been walking with Jesus. They'd seen the miracles. They'd seen his heart. They're like, we're doing this thing. It's going to be a Jesus takeover. It's going to be a revival. We're ready for it. Let's go. And Jesus says, and now I'm leaving. Imagine the disorientation. <laughs> their feelings, the, the troubledness of their hearts. But, um, and we know the end of the story, right? No, no, it's so much better when he left. He sent the Holy Spirit. He died for our sins. He saved our souls. Hallelujah. Amen. We know the end of the story. But in the moment, even though that he had told them the truth, in the moment, it was very troubling. And how many times in our lives when we even know the end of the story, we know the word of God, we know the promises of God, we're in the middle of a situation where we're like, well, I know what God says, this is what I'm experiencing, then we're honest with ourselves in the moment, we're troubled, right? We're disoriented in the moment, like, Jesus, really? Like, really, this is what's happening right now? This is really the world that I'm living in right now, and I believe the word of the Lord, because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, is the same. And he says to you and me, do not let your hearts be troubled. Why? You believe in God. Oh. You realize that changes everything? <laughs> believe also in me. And I'm going to read it again. Can we do that? Um, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, I would have told you. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go, verse 3, and prepare a place for you, I will come back. And I'll take you to be with me, so that you may also be with me where I am. You know the way to the place I'm going. All right, so catch all of this. Now, first thing you may not notice here is that this is actually... Um, this is betrothal language. This is marriage language. And I'm not going to dig too deep in that, but they would have known that. Um, it was normative in the, the marriage process, the betrothal process, that the bridegroom would say to the bride, okay, it's about that time, so we're going to get married. But before that happens, I have to go away, literally. I'm going to go away to my father's house, literally build a room on the house for you and me. And I'm, when I'm done, I'm going to come back and get you. That was the, the, the ancient Jewish marriage ritual. Did you know that? Now you know. Okay. Um, so that's literally the language he's using. But, but how does that then apply to us? Well, there's the marriage of the Lamb, book of Revelation, hallelujah, amen, the end of the story is coming. But the point of the, the, the thing is that it's not like he's leaving us and leaving us. 
that there's a purpose and plan that God is unfolding. Does that make sense in this passage? He said, don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Who's God? He's good. He's all-powerful. He's almighty. He's Father. Believe also in me. He's like, you've, you've had faith in God. Your people have had faith in God for generations, and now I am here. That faith put it on me because I'm about to wrap up the story. I'm about to wrap up all that you believed in. I'm about to fulfill all that your faith was. And for a moment, it's going to look like I'm not here, but I'm actually up to something good. I'm actually working out a plan. I'm actually bringing things to completion. So don't let your heart be troubled. Oh, so wait, in 2023... When I'm troubled and it feels like God is distant, what should I do? Believe God that he's up to something, that he's working a plan, that he has the end of the story in mind. And when it's come to fruition, he will not have forgotten me. He will have prepared a place for me. This is making sense. So in the midst of all the tumult in our world, in the midst of maybe what is disorienting in your own life, in your family situation, in your job situation, don't let your heart be troubled. Put your faith in God because he's up to something. He's, he's preparing something. And you know what? That really is comforting. <laughs> that, that really helps my heart. But what about this phrase, you know, you know the way to the place where I am going? Well, let's read a little, little further. Uh, let's jump in on verse, verse 5. Thomas said to him, verse 5, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus answered, that's a good pragmatic question. I appreciate Thomas. Jesus answered, I am the way. I am the truth and the life. That may be a familiar verse to you, but let it not be too familiar. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, highlight, underline, circle, if you really know me, know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And he goes on a little further, but I'm going to read that again. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. How have we seen the Father? We've seen Jesus. You can hear Thomas saying, like, right, like you and me, we would be the same way. No, 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 no. I need, I need the coordinates to plug into my GPS to get there, okay? You didn't tell us where you're going. You didn't tell us how to get there. How am I going to get there? And Jesus answers saying, no, you know the way. You know the way. You know the way. I, I'm the way. And if you know me and follow me, I'll get you where I'm going. Oh. So it's not like getting directions on a map that you have to find your way there somehow to the place where Jesus is trying to take you. But the key component is knowing him. The key component is knowing him. And so why could Jesus say in verse 4, you know the way. You already know the way to where I'm going. Really? Yes. Because they had been walking with Jesus. They'd already tasted and seen the realities of heaven. They'd walked in the atmosphere of heaven with the Son of God. 
And if Jesus is going to be with the Father in heaven, he's saying, you've already tasted of who I am. You've already tasted of where I come from. You know me, you know the way. Just follow the way. Follow me. Follow what you've tasted. Follow what you've seen. Follow what you've known in me. Keep walking with me. With seasons of life change and what feels like the presence of God seems nearer or farther, sometimes we think we just have to figure it out. And God says, no, 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 no. Jesus says, no, 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 no. You think I'm farther away, but you've tasted. You've seen. You know me. You've experienced me. Stay there. Keep walking in what I've shown you. Keep walking in the way that you know me. And this changes everything really about the familiarity of this, this verse. Now, it's true, and Jesus declared this truth to them and to us and to the world. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. He was making a claim of exclusivity, meaning there's not another way to God. <laughs> there's not many ways. There's not another path. The only way you get to heaven, let every, heaven that everyone wants, such so quotes, heaven is me. Do you know why? Because Jesus is heaven. There's no heaven without him. We think, oh, heaven's this place we'll go where there's no pain or no death or no crying, no sorrow. None of the bad things we're experiencing will be there. I want to go there. Well, you know why heaven is like that? Because he's there. <laughs> no Jesus, no heaven. That's like, what the bumper sticker, right? <laughs> no Jesus, no heaven. No Jesus, no heaven. Is this making sense? And it, but it wasn't like, hey, if you read these words and, and you hear the gospel and then you pray the prayer of salvation, now you got your ticket, you got the way. When it's time, you'll be in glory. He wasn't saying that at all. Do you understand that? He was making a claim of exclusivity, but he wasn't saying, hey, as long as you believe in me, you got the ticket, go live your life. You know, I read the Bible. I went to Sunday school. I prayed that prayer. I got baptized. I'm good. No, that's not actually how it works. You can know a lot about Jesus. You can go through a lot of motions uh, for Jesus. But if you don't know Jesus, you don't know the way. Is this making sense? Like, know Jesus. Now, we have to define that term, okay, because our understanding of know in our culture is brain knowledge. I read a book, or somebody taught me, or let's bring it to the 21st century. I heard a podcast. I looked on the Internet. I know. <laughs> That's not what it means. <laughs> um, this Greek word to know that, that is used all throughout the New Testament. Every time you read the word know in your, your Bible, I want you to hear it as something much deeper and much different. To, to know is to be intimately acquainted with. It's not a study. It's an experiential knowledge. The difference between saying, I know that person because I saw them somewhere or heard about them, and the difference between I know that person, I met them. I looked in their face. I heard their voice. I talked to them. I had a conversation. Is this making sense? That's the knowing that is the way. Not, not, not information, but an, uh, an experiential knowledge of him of Jesus in your daily life is the way that you get to the Father, is the way you find yourself with him at the end of the days. And it's the way you find him and walk with him and experience the realities of his presence, power, and heaven today. Is this making sense? 
Because you can know a lot of things about God and still be in danger of becoming like the Pharisees. They had a lot of information. And they were passionate about their information. But because they didn't have an experiential knowledge with God, they missed it when he's standing right in front of them. And in the meantime, they became consumed with a political spirit and a religious spirit. Now, none of us would like to think that we would ever become a Pharisee. But there's a, a road called the way of knowing Jesus. And on either side are the ditches of becoming the Pharisee that look a lot like a political spirit and religious spirit. Now, let me give you my simple definitions of those. A political spirit isn't necessarily about politics. It's about forcing agreement. It's like you have to agree you have to agree to be approved. You have to assert that what we say is right. You don't get a choice. You don't have free will. Agree to the plan, and then you're in. That's a political spirit. Unfortunately, I see a lot of Christians doing that. And the other side of the ditch is the religious spirit that says you have to behave right to belong. You have to follow the rules. You have to toe the line. You have to check all the boxes and make sure you do all this and don't do all that. And when you're getting all that, you've got it right. That's the religious spirit, and it's a killer. Because you can believe all the right things and agree to all the right doctrinal statements and still be dead on the inside. And actually, you can grit your teeth really hard and behave really good for a long time but be dead on the inside. Because you're living a religious life and don't actually know Jesus. And here's the, the crux of the matter for us. Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. Well, then we have to reassess some other terms. Jesus being the way is not just a ticket that opens a door. It's the way we live today in the knowledge of God. What does it mean then if Jesus is the truth? Because we love the truth. Don't we? We like truth. We like, some people are really big on right, this is right, that's wrong, this is dark, this is light, that's true, that's false, and there's nothing wrong with that. But what we end up, if we think truth is a matter of facts, figures, rights, and wrongs, we're still following into a ditch. Because we think that truth is about weights and measures, facts and figures, when Jesus says it's about a person. Because what we do if we make truth, facts, figures, black and white, uh, you know, passages on a page, is then we use those weights and measures, those rights and wrongs, and we beat people up with them. Doesn't mean that there isn't right and wrong. There is. And the truth of God is unchanging. It doesn't waver with the times. Don't get me wrong here. But we need a different lens in how we see truth. We need a different lens in how, how we experience truth and how we live out truth in the world that we live in. Because there's lots of things going on in the world. And we, sometimes we use our eyes and look at situations. We look at people. We look at um, this thing in our government. Or we look at that thing over in Israel. And we, we like to use our truth lenses. We have our weights and measures. Well, that's right. 
and that's wrong, and this person's right, and that person's wrong. And at the end of the day, when we weigh it out on the scales of what we think is right, wrong, truth, or not truth, we may cast judgment on those people based on our rights and wrongs, our facts and figures, when Jesus would say, no, I'm the truth. And what's the difference about that is that truth is embodied in a person. It's the person of Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and life. And a disembodied truth becomes facts and figures that do one thing, dehumanize people on the other side of our truth. And that is the one thing you will never see Jesus do. He never dehumanized the people on the other side, even the Pharisees. He never treated them as as shadows and figures. He treated them as people. Same with the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the outcast. They, they, they may have been wrong, but he didn't weigh them on the scales and throw them out. He came near to them. And I want to say that I believe that that is the way of Jesus. And two things I want to highlight. That the way of Jesus and the way the truth of Jesus enters our worlds and, and through us to the world is that he draws near. And the way we see the reality of Jesus come into our world is when we learn to agree with Jesus, specifically in the place of prayer. Um, let me give some examples of this. Again, because there are so many things going on in our world that are troubling, I would like to encourage us as Christians, followers of Christ, to take on the way of Jesus. And if the way of Jesus is to draw near to the trouble, then what does that look like for us? Now, let me give you some examples. You're like, what, what are you talking about? A few that just come so easily to mind for me. Um, they bring the woman caught in adultery to Jesus, right? Weight on the scales, she's wrong. She's done wrong. She's not the only one, <laughs> But she, she was caught in sin, right? So the, the, the black and white truth says she's wrong. She should be stoned. But what did Jesus do? He leaned in. He drew near. He saw a person. He looked her in the face. And he brought a, um, an opportunity for her to be changed by him because he drew near to her. I think of Zacchaeus. He's in the city. He's a taxpayer. And he was not a good dude. Everybody knew he wasn't a good dude. He was a bad dude. And he goes, they go into the city, and Zacchaeus is up in the tree. And what does Jesus do? Call up to Zacchaeus, hey, Zacchaeus, what you're doing is wrong. Repent. Get it right. No. Zacchaeus, come down. I'm coming to your house. And everybody goes, no, don't go to his house. What are you thinking? This microphone's going crazy on me. He drew near. And you know what happened when he drew near? That man was changed. And you know what happened when that man was changed? His town was changed because he had been an oppressor to the people in his town. And then Jesus came in, drew near to the man who was being oppressive, changed his heart, and changed that town. Changed the lives of many by drawing near to one man. I think of, um, and we could go on forever, but you'll see this is the way of Jesus. He draws near the trouble. Okay, I think of the man who was in the cave of the Gerasenes or the Gadarenes, depending on your, your translation. You know the one? They had to chain him up, but he would break the chains because he was, had a legion of demons. It's ringing a bell. You can look it up. It's in there. 
And so I don't know about you, but there's some dude who's been cast out of the city who lives in a cave who acts like an animal because he's possessed by hundreds of demons, and they've tried to chain him up, and the chains don't hold him. That's not the first place I want to go. Jesus says, hop in the boat. Let's go. What did Jesus do? He got close. So as you look at the world around you, and you call yourself a Christian, you want to follow the way of Jesus, and you see situations that you're like, whoa, that's wrong. Whoa, that person's getting it all wrong. That group's getting it all wrong. They're doing it all wrong. What would Jesus do? Run the other way, obviously. No, he'd take a step closer and a step closer and a step closer. But that person and their life is so dirty. Exactly. What hope do they have if someone who carries the truth doesn't get in their space? What hope do they have for redemption or transformation? What, what avenue does Jesus have if you carrying Jesus don't get closer? Do we really change the world by looking over there and be like, that's wrong. That, that should change. Y'all are wrong. That's right. You're wrong. I'm right. It's in the Bible. Odds that that will change. Anyone? <laughs> I mean, I would give it a 0.0011%, but I'll go with zero. We'll round. We'll round there. Thank you, Becky. I want you to think about the things that trouble you most. Literally. Are you trying to shout at it from across the globe? Trying to shout at it from your computer screen? Or are you looking for an opportunity to get close? Because that's the way of Jesus. That's the way he is. That's the way he brings truth. Truth is best embodied in a person. Embodied in you. Truth as a fact is unmovable and changing. But it comes packaged in a person, the person of Jesus, and hopefully you. There's one other way that we get to walk the way of Jesus to change the world, but I want to, um, I've been wanting to share this um, dream I had. And my, uh, Kennedy, you've been doing so good. I've been up and down my notes in 18 directions, and she's just right there. She's so good. Um, Okay, I'll share the dream. I don't often have dreams, um, but I ask the Lord for dreams all the time. Because um, he's good, and it's biblical. How many believe God gives dreams? Okay, read the Bible. It, um, it's in there. Some of you dream all the time, and I don't want to say that every dream you have is from the Lord. But I will say because I, have, I feel like I have so few, um, usually when they come, they're meaningful. Or when I remember them. I guess technically we dream almost every night. Uh, we just don't remember them. So I almost never remember them. That, that's the truth. So I had this dream, and in the dream, um, uh, I was in my house, and I went to bed, and when I woke up the, the next morning, um, my house was full of people. Um, it was full of people, and it was our house, but there were so many rooms. Key phrase. Um, <laughs> uh, and the house was full of people I'd never met. Like, in the night, while I was asleep, while we were asleep, 
people had come over. It was like this big party. And in every, every room, there was a different person. There was all kinds of people there. They're from every walk of life, every age, every stage, like, um, they, uh, they were there. They're in the house and on every level of my house. We have a two-story house and a finished basement. And so I'm freaking out. I'm like, oh, my gosh, how did this happen? Why are these people here? Uh, we got to get them out. Um, like, I felt really nervous. And uh, I'm like, I got to get my kids to school. It's a school <laughs> morning. Like, and all these people are in my house. Um, so uh, as the dream progresses, and I'll finish that and then explain what I feel like it means, um, I did get all the people out of the house, and they were all happy. Nobody was mad. Nobody was whatever. Um, and then I get them all out, and I get my kids to school. And um, I show up at the school, and another one of the dads um, who I know at the school, I was like, oh, my gosh, I'll never believe what happened. <laughs> uh, this thing happened. Uh, and all these people were in my house. I don't know where they come from. We got them out. And it was crazy. And uh, the person was just, like, totally nonchalant. Like, it's a big deal. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. Uh, and uh, that was essentially the end of the dream. And I was like, what, what meaneth thou this, Lord? Um, <laughs> and so I actually shared it with, with Kevin, who helped me. Now, the thing that stood out to me were um, a couple things. Like, nobody was mean or mad. It didn't seem like a bad thing, but I was nervous in the dream. And two, that my house was my house, but it had so many rooms. And I was like, there's something that God's trying to say here. And so I explained it to uh, Kevin, and he's like, you know what that sounds like um, if you've seen the movie The Jesus Revolution. Um, there's a scene where um, they're at the pastor's house, and people just start moving in. <laughs> just strangers are living in their house. People who come to know Jesus start to, to fill the house. And the, the key person um, who, who unlocked um, this group of people coming, so many different people coming to know uh, the Lord was the pastor's kid. And so actually in my dream, the person who invited all these people into the house while I was sleeping was one of my kids. <laughs> and that was the craziest part. Um, but I, when, when Kevin shared that with me, I'm like, no, this is real. This, that makes so much sense. Um, all these people, so many rooms in a house, and it's not a bad thing. And I felt like uh, the message from the Lord was to get ready because he's going to bring all kinds of people into our space who are different ages, different stages, different walks of life, because he's bringing them into his house. But also that he's going to use our children and a younger generation to bring them in. I'm going to switch out this mic, actually. So. <laughs> Dan, can you help me out? I think it, I messed it up. The thing in there was is that Again, it was sort of a anyone is welcome sort of a zone. Like anywhere, everyone was welcome and there was joy in the house. And all, I, well, the one thing I couldn't get away from was this passage that we just read. Um, in my father's house, there are many rooms. There's many rooms. There's lots of room. And you know who I think that the Lord wants to fill the house with? Are the people that maybe right now make us the most nervous. That trouble us. Those people over there, the ones that are really, really wrong right now, they're doing the wrong things. And I think he's calling us to draw near and to get close, to bring the way and the truth to those that need it most. Um, and again, to shift our mindset from what's right, what's wrong. Again, I'm not trying to dilute or change the truth of the words of God. 
Are we clear on that part? But to change our approach to human beings in the midst of this thing. And so the last thing I want to share with you, because, again, Jesus gets into the middle of the mess. Um, uh, Matthew 16, if you want to turn there. But we'll put it up here. So Jesus and his disciples um, go to a city, uh, a village called Caesarea Philippi. Anybody know anything about Caesarea Philippi? Anyone? 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 Okay, let me tell you a little bit about it. Um, Caesarea Philippi was a village. It was in Israel. It was, it was part of the Jewish land. It was where um, some Jews lived, but had been infiltrated. And this is a picture of a place there. You can't see it very well. Um, but it was at the base of Mount Hermon. Um, the fa- and this is the face of the base of that mountain, which is a big rock. Um, and so Caesarea Philippi had actually become a center of really gross pagan worship. Like, I won't, I will spare you all the details, um, but um, they were doing all kinds of ungodly things, okay? This is not the place that you go to visit for vacation, um, <laughs> and not the place I would choose to take my entourage for a ministry tour. Uh, but Jesus, being Jesus, does that. It's the same way where, you know, they're traveling to Jerusalem, and most Jews would go around the Samaritan cities because they're Samaritans. Ew. Um, Jesus said, no, we're walking through. We're going through Samaria to get to Jerusalem. Ting, smile. You know, uh, he takes them to Caesarea, Caesarea Philippi. Again, a, a Jewish village, but consumed with pagan worship. And this place, this rock um, face, this wall had a spring that would freeze up in there. And in their sort of ancient pagan minds, they believed that um, spirituality was um, connected to the water. Okay, so the waters were deep, deep underground, but in the spring, those waters would come up from the ground, and they'd hold these, these crazy pagan festivals. Uh, don't let your mind go too crazy, but if you can think it, it happened there. And so Jesus says, hey, let's go there, and I'm going to talk to you about church. <laughs> and uh, so let's, let's just read that. Uh, Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 13. You can just read it up here. So when, I, I have to give you that context, because if you don't know that context, you read this much differently. All right. Um, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do the people say the Son of Man is? Verse 14, they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, You're the Messiah, the son of the living God. Now, this is a really good conference. This is really good teaching. This is like revival service, right? I love it. I love it. Verse 17, keep reading. And so Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. So they have a heavenly revelation encounter right here next to this face of rocks in Caesarea Philippi. And I tell you, Uh, verse 18, that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades, or some would say the gates of hell, but we'll say the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in, in heaven. Okay, yes. That's right. I thought I said it wrong. And then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone he is the Messiah. That, I, I don't know why he does that. It's so funny. Um, so they're standing in front of this, this, this rock face wall where the spring would come up. And what they believed about this thing is that that spring that was underground was actually a portal to the underworld. They literally believed that that was the gate of Hades. 
They're standing at a place known by the people around as the gates of the underworld. Or, or in our mind, that would be like the gates of hell, where the demons hang out. That's where we are. And at certain times of the year, when that water flows, all those evil spirits are coming out. And that's why they would demonically worship them and do all kinds of pagan rituals to worship them. And so that's this. This is right where the disciples are standing, sitting, whatever they did. And Jesus says this. In front of the gates of hell, in front of the spout where the demons come out, if you will, it's like, hey, here we are. He could have been pointing on, on this rock. I don't know if he was pointing at it. On this rock, the one you think is the portal to hell. That's where we're building the church. Ting, smile. You know, like that little sound that comes off the, the white teeth. Uh, I mean, it's a serious moment, but that, that's so Jesus. He's, here, here's what it is. He's just not afraid. He's just not troubled. Um, and we are so troubled. But really what he was saying, and, and let's just be clear about it, and, and I need to, to wrap it up. Um, first, he said, who do you say I am? Peter gets a revelation from heaven at the gates of hell. Hello. I love that. Oh, you're the, the son of God. You're the Messiah. You're the chosen one. You're it. And Jesus says, that's right. And on this rock, meaning not, not the rock face and not Peter, but on the revelation of Jesus being the way, the truth, the life, the Messiah, on that reality, I'm going to build my church. I'm going to build a powerful entity. And it's actually not a building. It's a people. Did you know that? When he's talking about the church, it's the ecclesia. It's a, it's a governing, ruling group of people in that culture. He said, I'm going to build a, a people for myself on myself for myself, on myself, that the most evil of the evil of the evil will never prevail against. That's awesome. And he told us how we deal with it. I love it. They're standing at the gates of hell, and this has been said before, but you know what? Gates don't move, right? Like, the gates don't come against you. <laughs> like, if you're literally looking at a gate, right, it doesn't, it doesn't jump. It's just there. But the, the, what, what prevails against us when it comes to the work of the devil? Fear. The possibility, right? That's what prevails against our hearts. That's what makes us doubt, well, I don't know. I don't really know if Jesus could do that. Or we, we, we spiritualize, I don't know if Jesus wants to do that right now, you know, because actually I'm just afraid. Actually, my heart is troubled. Actually, my faith is, is waning when I look at that. He said, no, 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 I'm, I'm going to build a people on, who know me. Because that's what happened in that moment. Peter had a revelation of who Jesus really was, what he was really like. You're the Messiah. You're this, that one. And he said, stand on that reality. Because on that reality of who I am, I'm going to build my people on who I am. And nothing can stand against them. No fear will come. Their hearts will not be troubled. Even if they stand in the face of hell, they won't be troubled. In fact, they will conquer it. And here's how. Here's how. I want to build my people. So the church there, the word we, we translate church, again, is not a building. 
Um, it's an ecclesia, which is a word in the, the Roman culture. They're referred to within cities and geographical locations. There was an ecclesia. It was a chosen, called out people. And when there was a time of war or decisions in the city to be made, the ecclesia would gather. And whatever the ecclesia decided for their city became the law of the land. Does this make sense? This is a quick background for you. And so Jesus pulling out that term, talking about a people he was going to build, is saying, you know about ecclesias in this Roman culture that you've lived in. And they have, uh, you know, that we, it's a men and over 18, you know, of adult age, they come, they decide the fate of their city. And what they decide goes. He said, I'm going to build a people of the spirit on my reality, on the truth of who I am. And whatever they come together, when they call, they're called out by me and they gather in a space, in a place, and they decide, this is good, this is bad, we want this, we don't want that. It's called prayer. That thing will become the law of the land. Oh, so there's two ways that Jesus calls us to walk in his way, and one is to get close to the issues and see the people involved. The second is for us to understand that he's created us to be a powerful people in the spirit. And when we look at the world around us, instead of just getting mad, frustrating, ranting to our neighbor and on our Facebook feed about what's wrong with the world, we have power to come together and change it. This is what it means to be a people of prayer. We say that every week, don't we? There'll be a people of prayer, and you say, well, I don't know. I can't always make it to the prayer gathering, so I don't know if I can be a person of prayer. What did Jesus say about coming to a prayer gathering? Nothing. He just said, when you're built in the rock of Jesus, that you can say that this is allowed and this isn't, and it will be done. When you agree with the will of God. Obviously, not your own will. Well, I'd like a million dollars. Well, that's not exactly what my plan was for you today, son. So that's not going to be done. But if I can agree with the reality that says, I want your kingdom to come in this situation, Jesus says, yes, I will. And it's actually not a question. It's not like, I hope you'll move, Jesus. I hope you care. I mean, does Jesus care? <laughs> so it's a, no, it's, it's, it's a done deal. The problem is, how often do we actually believe that? How often do we believe that when we see something evil happening in our world, in our family, on our street, in our neighborhood, in the news, how many of us actually believe, hey, Jesus said that we could bind that and actually say, Jesus, in the name of Jesus, oh, we sang about that today, I bind that, I cancel that, and then it's not working. Well, grab a brother, grab a sister. Because one could be a thousand, two, ten thousand. Okay, another sister or brother. How many of you, hey, do you guys agree with me that what's happening over there is bad? Yeah, that's bad. Let's just agree with God right now for it to be over. Let's do it. And you know what will happen? God will answer from heaven. He promised it. You know, and so that's whether it's happening in your family, in your neighborhood, in your city, or your town, or around Israel right now. That we can stand with God and, and, and cut off evil and release good from heaven. Amen? Now, again, you don't have to. I would love if you could come to any of our prayer opportunities, but you can grab your spouse and pray for your family. You know, pray for your finances. If you're worried about your schools, grab some parents. Say, hey, we need to pray about what's happening in our schools. And you know what will happen? What you agree together on in the will of God will be done. And what you disallow in the will of God will be disallowed. You can turn it around for real. Because the hand of God, when you agree with the will of God, the hand of God moves. Is this making sense? And this is why we are a people prayer. And it's not about whether you show up to a meeting or not. It's just take, taking your place of authority in the spirit. Most of the time, 
<laughs> what we do with the things that trouble us is we think about them. And we let anxiety stir in our heart about them. And we talk to someone else about them. And what we got to do is funnel all that energy, all that anxiety, all that trouble into the place of prayer. That's it. Turn the, the conversation you're having with yourself about this into a conversation with the one who has power to do something about it. That's it. Wait, but I don't know what God's will is in this situation. But you do. It's right here. What, what does God want for this? Find it in the word. God will honor his word. He will do what's in his word. Really? It says that you'll heal the sick. Yes, I will. It says that you'll change times and seasons. Yes, I will. It says that you'll uphold rulers and take some down. Yes, I will. It says you'll provide for all my needs. Yes, I will. You getting this? Take the worry, take the trouble, take the frustration, take the whatever, the concern to the Lord in prayer. Release his will, bind up the work of the devil, and it will be done. Well, can't God just do it on his own? Yeah, he can. But Jesus said he would build a people that do it with him. That's the way. He said he would establish a people who can stand at the gates of hell. And not be prevailed upon by fear or by the headlines and clickbait and trouble. Soon we'll be done with the trouble of the world. It's an old spiritual. Uh, it came to my mind. Soon we'll be done with the troubles of the world. Because Jesus right now is working out his plan. He's preparing a place. That's not all he's doing. But he's preparing something. And you know what? Every moment, every day that he's not back yet is because he's preparing. He's at work. We can't get there now because it's not ready. We're not ready. We're not ready to see Jesus face to face. We're not ready for the wedding. You know what the bride would do when the, the husband went away? That was her chance to get ready. That was her chance to prepare herself. It was her time of consecration. She was busy about it because she didn't know when he'd come back. We don't know when he'll come back either, do we? We don't know the day or the hour, but we know he's got a plan. We know he's at work. We know he's doing something. And we know we have something to do too. We get to be Jesus. We get to walk in the way. We get to know the truth. We get to be the truth. And this is how we see the life of Jesus expressed in our world. Our engagement with God and his will matters. Our engagement with God and his word changes the world. Do you believe that? And here's the bottom line. If you're standing at the gates of hell, but you're standing on Jesus, you're in a safe place. Do you get that? But so much is happening in the world. Are you standing on Jesus? You're in a safe place. So I want to challenge you two things. Um, as I close the message, in, um, is there a way that God would call you to move closer to people or an issue that troubles you? Is there a way you could move closer? I just want to challenge you with that thought. And in concerning the things that trouble you most, have you taken it to the Lord in prayer? Have you stood on Jesus 
and simply believed his power to bind and to loose because it really works. Let's stand together. I'm just going to pray a quick prayer today um, as we close. And then um, we're actually going to do a little different this week. Um, Last week, we transformed this whole sanctuary, prayed for everyone, did prophetic ministry for everyone. But some of you weren't here. And we just felt like, no, I felt like we didn't want you to miss out. So if you weren't here last week and you didn't get to receive that, we want to pray for you. And we will still use, we're going to use this space for that. So after I pray for us, we will have refreshments available. But I would love if you're not getting prayer ministry or um, helping to dispense it, go grab a refreshment and go hang out in the hallway. Stay there for hours if you want. Um, but it will help uh, the folks in here to be undist- undistracted if you can not fellowship and laugh and pray and, and, and all the things that we do after service in here. I love it. I love it. Do it. Do it more. Do it in the parking lot. Do it in the foyer. Do it in the bathroom. I don't care. Um, hang out. Love Jesus together. Love one another together. But we want to set aside this space for, for some more prayer and prophetic ministry. And if you were here last week and you want more or you want to help us pray, you are welcome. Um, let's pray. Jesus, we declare that you are the way. You are the truth. You are the life. There is no other way to eternal life but in knowing you. And I pray what I prayed at the beginning, that Holy Spirit, you would help us to have an intimate, personal, everyday experience with Jesus. That we would know the man, Jesus, the one who died, rose, and is seated on the throne, we would be in relationship with. Day by day, moment by moment, more than words on a page, more than information in our brains, help us to know you in the hour that we live. And would you establish us as your people on the rock of Christ Jesus? And would you help us to exercise, even in weak faith, the authority you've given us in prayer and see the world around us change? If you agree with that prayer, say amen. All right, I'm going to speak a blessing.